And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you.
Welcome everybody to the KIRP radio show. I'm your host, Pete Miller, Pudgy at NC Pudgy is me on Twitter. You can definitely check me out on that. Also check me out on Facebook, Facebook.com backslash KIRP radio show. And uh you can check us out on iTunes, man. iTunes podcast keywords, KIRP radio and show is the last. Shout out to everybody out there who continues to rock with us, man, week after week, month after month, year after year. It is all it's been a beautiful journey, man. And um I love I love everything. I love every minute of it. You know, it's real cool to be able to come on air and uh you know, share with everybody and to uh talk about, you know, headline news and topics and things that go on within the community. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, and I really appreciate, you know, the effect that it has on me, not o- not only, you know, for the benefit of the community, but the effect that it has on me. I can definitely appreciate uh, uh, those feelings, and, and, and it's like therapy. You know, one thing about doing this show and, and uh, preparing for the show all week and you know, when you actually get on air to do it and you, you actually, you know, you sit down and, and you grab the mic and, you know, you, you actually be, it's like, uh, it's like therapy. It's like to go to a psychologist, you know, for some people, it's like, uh, oh, it's just therapy, man. It's, this is a place I can come and release. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times you try to talk about, these topics to people and you know people people aren't well invested in substance I found out you know it, it seems like to me it seems like it's getting worse you know when I was growing up you would always run across adults who could give you you know some jewels as I like to say give you some jewelry you know, it's always nice that you could, when I was young, it was always nice that you well, you could almost look forward to people saying something that you could take with you for the rest of your life. You know, something that you, that I now look back on and, and really makes sense. And I can say, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing. Those few words that someone I came across at some point in time in my life I can reflect on now and they can make a major impact on my life now. You know, that, that was, that's probably uh, the most amazing or one of the most amazing things that I can look back on about my childhood and appreciate, you know. Uh, but today, you know, people are invested in substance. And what I mean by that is, uh, just communicating, just having conversations. Um, if I were, you know, here's a challenge. You guys know how I do, man. I'm always challenging my audience to um, talk about different things or I'm challenging my audience to do things or, or to do something different in, in their lives and in our lives. But um, here's a challenge. Pick a card, any card, right? It's not Vegas, um, pick a topic, choose something that you don't commonly 
hear talked about every day or that people don't commonly talk about on a regular basis. But I want you to choose something that matters to everyone. Like, for example, water. Right? And I'm not some crazy flaming liberal. I'm going to talk about every water company is out to get us and to kill us. I love myself a great conspiracy. I love it. I love investigating and looking into things and saying, hey, you know what? That's total BS. You know, I enjoy that. (laughs) I enjoy looking into things and finding out that they're not legit, you know, that they're just negative. There's there's nothing positive about it. I enjoy that. You know, there's, there's, uh, that's just something, it's something exhilarating about taking the time to look into topics. But anyway, I challenge you all to take a topic such as water and talk about water or the importance of clean water or if we have clean water or dirty water or what may have you. And I want you to, to engage someone that you talk to every day. And I want you to look at them while you're talking about the topic. I mean, really pay attention to their actions, their, their reactions to what you're saying. You know, let's see if they'll grab their phone out and Google. Let's see if they'll ask you for references and, and things of that nature. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this to, to prove a point, but I, I'm just, what I'm saying is if you do this exercise, you'll understand why I'm, I'm an optimist, but at the same time, I'm, I'm so very skeptical of people uh, because if, if you take the same person or when you do this exercise, I want you to come right back to the same person and talk about the leading story on television or the most entertaining person in the media or the Oscars or the Grammy or the hottest song on the radio and, and what may have you. It, you'll see a difference in that person's face. You'll see the spark in that person. And, and that's a sad reality. You know, these aren't the times that we grew up in. And, and it's a very unfortunate thing. You know, I, I, I hate it, but I know that it's reality. So what I tell myself is when I interact with people, when I come across people, my job is to bring some substance to a world that doesn't have any substance anymore. You know, my job is to talk about something that matters. My job is to talk talk encouragement. You know, my job is to uh, make someone laugh when they when they have a frown on their face a lot. You know, or or bring joy, basically bring joy into the lives of others, because it's a sad world, man. It's a sad reality. No one is really paying attention to what's really going on, except for in certain cycles that's perpetuated by the media or the federal government or both. You know, in the election cycle, everybody cares. Everyone's paying attention to the talking points and only the talking points of the candidates. You know, a a lot of people are talking about uh, Planned Parenthood or the debate of, you know, the pro-life folks and what they like to call themselves the pro-choice folks. 
No disrespect to what nobody believes. I'm pro-life to the day I leave here, and that's just what it is. But you don't commonly find a lot of people talking about these issues out there until they either, A, hit the news cycle, or B, it's the election cycle. You hear folks talking about immigration as much, unless you live in one of those areas where uh, foreign immigrants are high. You know, but common conversations, people don't talk about these issues, not with sense, not with good, uh, a good dialogue. You know, you hear people talking rhetoric and, and television points and talking points and candidate points. And, uh, you know, just in your everyday interaction with people, you, you don't commonly hear people talking about things that are beneficial to all of us, unless you bring that to the table. All the important things, you know, family life, freedom, you know, economic independence, uh, um, how to maneuver through the system without getting locked up, without confrontations, without losing money, you know, all these things that are, that are very um, big to our existence and to us living, but, um, you know, you just don't hear people talking about them in substance. You, It seems like to me, when we do hear people talking about these things, they're talking about talking points or rhetoric or something they saw on Fox or MSNBC or something someone else said, which is a very sad thing when our conversations can only be of something that someone else put in our heads. That's a, that's an amazing thing. Something to think about. Going to commercial, folks. We'll be right back after these messages. You are rocking with the KIRP Radio Show, baby. Six one nine six three eight eight five five nine is the number. If you don't know that by now, you could also check us out online for my Facebook goers or. Facebook participants or whatever you want to call it. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com backslash KIRP Radio Show. Also on Twitter, at symbol. Everybody knows what the at symbol is, right? At symbol, KIRP Radio Show. One word, KIRPRadioShow.com. Don't forget about that. We'll be right back after these messages, baby. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany. Nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government, 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on 
and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. Hey, Cam, thanks a lot for coming to my school today. No problem, Nate. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes to play a day, right? And I'll grow up to be big and strong like you. Absolutely. And play in the NFL. Yes, sir. And be dressed number one. Maybe. And become the starting quarterback of the Panthers. Okay. You can be my backup. Excuse me? And make Panthers fans forget about you. What? And become your mom's favorite player. Whoa. K-I-R-P Radio! KIRP Radio Show. 619-638-8559. That's the number to call. For all you guys who want to listen on phone, that's the number to call. Okay? Just want you to know. I'm be writing me, fussing me out, saying that I don't say the number enough. Petty, you don't say the number enough. You need to say the number more so we can listen by phone. I don't nobody want to listen on their computer all the time. Blah, blah, blah. My bad. I got your emails. I hear what you're saying. Okay. Let me also say the date. Because people like to complain about, I don't know what date it is. I don't know if it's a replay. I don't know. I don't know. Sunday, January 17th, 2016. <laughs> hey, man, I love y'all and your complaints. But we're back on the KRP Radio Show. 
And um, I am privileged to uh, have a guest on the show today who is monumental, to say the least. Um, The guest that we have on the show tonight is a profound speaker. Uh, I love to hear the man talk. Um, an avid believer of God, a participator in one of not only America's most important protests, but also one of the most defining moments in black history of America. Uh, When we talk about people not understanding beyond talking points or folks not talking about things or important topics past their candidates' talking points, uh, what this man participated in stands at the top of the list of things that people don't know. Probably heard about, but just simply don't know. And it's a sad thing when it happens right in your your backyard. I'm talking about North Carolinians right now. Uh, I am honored to have on the show none other than the Honorable Clarence Henderson. How you doing, Mr. Henderson? I'm doing great, uh, Brother Pudgy. How are you doing? I'm I'm blessed, man. I'm wonderful. We, I'm here, I'm alive, and I'm well. And that's all that matters. Amen. Um, man, it's 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 exciting to have you on the show. Finally, um, I'm one of those people who over I overthink. I try to. I like drama. Like I wanna. I've been wanting to have you in a situation where we were sitting somewhere with a nice backdrop. You know, we were talking live on camera. I wanted to have that moment moment before I had you on the show, but uh, here we are today, and and at least have you on the phone. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. Well, you know, uh, Pudge is exciting to be on here with you this evening because. As you and I have talked before, America is at a major crossroads at this particular point in time. And the question is, where do we go? Do we go back to the tyranny of King George III, or do we take the next step toward freedom? Because freedom must always be defended. And unfortunately, there are far too many people in America that don't understand that freedom is not given away it must be defended, just like we did in 1960 when a shot was fired that was cleared around the world when four students walked into F.W. Woolworth, sat down to the lunch counter, and asked to be served. Mm-hmm. And it was not anything unusual, or it should not have been, except that these four men were black, and they sat down with an unwritten code of law known as Jim Crow, but forbade them to do so. Mm-hmm. And so... These are the kind of things that we must all be prepared for 
in order that we remain free as our God uh, uh, created us to be as, as human beings. And so we sat down at that uh, lunch counter, and I was there starting on February the 2nd to uh, put Jim Crow on trial. And after 176 days or so, Jim Crow was found guilty, and Woolworths opened up their counter for all to sit down who had the financial wherewithal to be able to pay for the meal. And I've been on that journey ever since then, and I continue to go back and express to people that uh, you may have objective, no, objective facts, but until you have had subjective experience, it does not become a reality for you. And so I try to give people a frame of reference as to what was going on back during that time. And so one of the challenges that we have now is I try to express to people that when we were going through the idea of integration, we were not trying to integrate into a race of people but into uh, the American system where we would have the same opportunities that others had or have. Mm-hmm. And we did that from a social point of view, but we are yet to leverage the economic opportunities that America offers. And so we have to learn how to leverage ourselves to take advantage of the system and not go backwards from where we came. Wow. You said some, uh, just in that context, you said some very important things. Uh, I just wanna, I want, I want you to expand on this one point, and and then I'm gonna go back and ask you some questions about uh, the era in which you know 1960 existed. Uh, you said we weren't trying to integrate into a people, but into society. Uh, expand on that, if you will. Well, um, you know, trying to integrate into another uh, 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 race of people is putting yourself still to be subjective to that race of people, whereby that when you come up to a certain level where perhaps you're almost equal to what they have said that you need to come up to, then they raise the bar. And so it's, re- it's better to compete rather than com- to compare because that's what I did when I graduated from A&T and the first job I had was loading and unloading boxcars, and and as I went about pli- applying for jobs uh, as a business administration major, nobody wanted to me wanted to pay me what uh, I thought I was worth, and so I decided to set up my own shop and go into business for myself, so that I would have the opportunity to compete rather than compare and see who came out uh, best. Uh, so we have to understand that even though behind the, the, the starting line is not where we start, it's where we finish. And so America has this opportunity whereby that if a person will look at it from the standpoint of a glass half full and put themselves over into that glass and let themselves spill over and uh, become uh, whatever you want to be in America, uh, because that's the kind of opportunity it offers because the only thing America offers, owes anybody or offers anybody is an opportunity. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the color of your skin because, see, when you get trapped into thinking along those lines, then you begin to compete against yourself, and it's like uh, uh, you know when you're in physical bondage, but when you put yourself in mental bondage, it's like the dog chasing his tail. You don't know where the head is, and you know where the tail is. That's right. Uh, 
back. Let's, let's go back a second to uh, February first, nineteen sixty. You know what? E- even before we go there, what what was it like to, to live in nineteen fifty nine? What was the world like when you woke up on a day? I know this may seem a very simple question and, and something that may not even be relevant, but I like to paint the picture of a time and era in a place that you lived in that you know about that a lot of people have no clue about. So if you could, you know, what was it like in the days, you know, between, let's say, 1955 and 1960 for you, just for you? Well, for me, um, <clears throat> I grew up in the segregated times where, it was understood that we as a race of people, and when I say a race of people, we as blacks, that we were supposed to stay in a certain position. Uh, and uh, going through that era of time, being bus um, all of my life, or most of my life, uh, uh, going to school, because, see, when I first started school, I lived in a black neighborhood. And then, believe it or not, uh, uh, when I started the third grade, I moved into what you would call an, an integrated neighborhood. And even though I lived in this integrated neighborhood, I was bused from the white neighborhood uh, to pass uh, several white schools that I would go to a black school. But what it did for me, the busing part, was that I got a chance to see what Greensboro looked like outside of my own environment. And I uh-huh. carry that with me today because I understand that uh, it's not where you come from, it's where you're going. And so uh, I never attended uh, an integrated school. As a matter of fact, I never sat down at the Woolworth counter, I never ate at the Woolworth counter, but uh, it uh, freed my mind when I reckoned I was able to uh, participate in what I knew already because when I was growing up, I played with a lot of white kids, and that's when I found out that there was no difference between the races, it was just something that uh, 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 an un- unconstitutional law that they had set up that was bypassing the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Um, and we as a race uh, had to push forward to define the moment at that, that, that particular point in time to uh, sit down to stand up for freedom and understand that uh, the self-evident truth that all men are created equal, that they have been endowed by that creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But uh, to know the truth is one thing, but to act on it is totally different. So I knew the truth from a child growing up, but I did not actually act upon it until that day on February 2nd, 1960, when I walked in the F.W. Woodworth and sat down at the lunch counter, not knowing where I was going to come out of a prone position, a vertical mm-hmm. position, and, and uh uh, whether I was going to be in handcuffs or whether or not uh, uh, my family would be burying me. But uh, if it's not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. Mm. Did, you know, as while you were growing up, you know, did everybody around you um, understand how different life was from blacks to compared to whites? I mean, did everybody understand, you know, significant difference? Uh, yes, everybody understood. You know, it's like even today, uh, everybody knows what the problem is, 
but what is the solution? So we have to think uh, analytical and come up with a solution that will uh, um, move the move the bar ahead so that all, we all have the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's one thing, to, as I said, to know something. It's another thing to, to, to do something about it because uh, we actually parted the Red Sea of segregation, stepped over into the fire furnace just like the uh, 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 three Hebrew boys did and changed the dynamics of, of America because uh, that shot was heard all around the world and it was a peaceful movement whereby that we put America on stage and made uh, uh, people aware that America will always look at the content of character of its people. And what we were doing was we were testing our, our Charles of Freedom, the Declaration of Independence, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, to see whether or not it was just words written on paper or whether or not uh, this country would live out the true meaning of being that uh, uh, um, light that sits on a hill uh, not to be covered up. And so we mm-hmm. proved it out, and I crowd to people right now that we have to continue to prove that out because if uh, we would go back into slavery, we would never, we would never come out. Man, I I, I do I, I do believe it would be uh, absolutely important that it that it's understood when as you were growing up, type of things, you, just in that era. I'm talking. 55 to 60, right before the war was sin. What mm-hmm. type of things, so you, we're talking solutions here, uh, what type mm-hmm. of things did you hear adults talk about uh, in your neighborhood, black, black, the black adults? What, did you, what type of things did you hear them talk about in terms of solution? Well, uh, the greatest solution I saw was my father, because my father with a second-grade education after he came out of South Carolina as a sharecropper, when he came to Greensboro, he went into business for himself and never worked for anybody uh, for the rest of his life. And what I saw him do was move between the races and develop friendships because of the uh, talent that he had, whereby that I used to see the car dealerships in Greensboro bring uh, they won't, and they used to, the car dealerships used to be on, on, on uh, uh, Elm Street in downtown Greensboro, and they would bring cars to my father to fix them when they had the guys that that uh, worked for the car dealerships that had the piece of paper on the wall, but they couldn't fix the cars. Cause mm-hmm. My dad was the kind of person that if he heard the car run, he could fix it. That was a God-given talent that he had. And also I saw him come to um, – Greensboro and understand the capitalistic system and was going to buy a property. But back during that time, uh, my mother had to sign off and she didn't understand what uh, he was doing and she wouldn't sign off. And so he never got to take advantage of that, the knowledge which he had. And that's why we have to work together now in order that we are able to achieve what God has given us the ability to, to achieve. So I saw my father as a role model, as I said, with a third-grade education uh, that uh, had more common sense than anybody I've ever met all my life. And so my example was seeing him work six days a week. My mother never worked anything but a part-time job, and she only started working a part-time job uh, after I started school because I was the youngest child. 
And so he worked six days a week with the church on Sunday, uh, read his Bible every night, and I can I still hear him now in my ear praying uh, as he, just before he went to bed. He prayed every night and never saw him curse, never heard him curse, never uh, saw him drink or do anything. He was just a hardworking guy that took advantage of what the uh, American Opportunity offers. How, how adamant was your dad or, or your parents sorry, uh, on you about, about going to school, going to college? Oh, that was a requirement. It, that was understood in our household. If, if you didn't go to school, you went to work. As a matter of fact, uh, the first job I had, uh, I was a sophomore at Dudley High School, and I worked at this uh, um grocery store uh of um Charles Melvin's uh well Jim Melvin's uh uncle. I worked for him all on Friday evenings after I got out of school and all day Saturday for five dollars a week. Which was no money but it was it was money that I worked for so I had an, a great a great appreciation early in life of mm-hmm. uh a work ethic that we all need to have and um Unfortunately, we don't see those kind of things now at this uh, time where a lot of people don't fall to see people take advantage of, of uh, uh, the work ethic that is required in order for you to get ahead in America. Um, I, I, that seems to be something common, uh, especially in that era. You know, I, I always say to people that uh, – the reason I I call myself conservative and I say that, you know, black people were quote unquote, the most original conservatives or classic conservatives, Mm -hmm. if that's what you want to call Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. we always had been, we had to be pro-life. We had the biggest families of, of, of any race in that, in the the early 1900s, multiple kids for for whatever Mm -hmm. reason you want to call it for farming, but, we were just pro-life people. Uh, we were also pro-God. You know, if, mm-hmm. if we didn't have anything, and as a matter of fact, when we didn't have anything, we did have God, and, and we knew that. And I feel like that was a huge part of sustaining us. Um, and we were also sustainability. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we had our own stores. We bought it and traded with each other because we – had no choice. So mm-hmm. when I talk to people like you uh, who actually came up through that era and also who made a, a contribution to not only um, the black community but to society as a whole, it's important that I'm able to to ask you questions about your mindset in that time, the things that you saw, uh, the things that you heard, to help those of us who think we know, but don't really know a first person, you know, that, that, that's mm-hmm. just the reality. So, so anyway, you know, you know, you talked about working hard in, in your first job and, you know, how education was uh, a requirement in your household. Um, let me ask you this growing up. Um, what kind of racial hate did you experience? Uh, while growing up, tell me about a time that something had happened where someone hated you just simply because you were black. Well, um, constantly hearing the N word when I grew up, 
Uh, I remember uh, we stayed on Oakland Avenue, and I was riding my bicycle down um, uh, Tate Street, and this white guy was approaching me, and I was all the way on the right-hand side, and he never did look at me, and he never did act like he saw me, but he just drifted over and knocked me off the bike. And when I, I guess I'm about eight or nine years of age, and never acknowledged uh, uh, the fact that I was there, except that he decided to take it out upon me. And the only thing I can think of is that, based on the color of my skin, I can remember leaving uh, Greensboro, uh, going to Wildwood, New Jersey, because a lot of us used to go to Wildwood, New Jersey in the summertime to work, mm-hmm. and catching a bus at Union Bus Station, and having to stand up from Greensboro to New Jersey, not because they were not in their seats, but because there were no seats in the back, there were seats in the front, but but what whites couldn't sit, whites couldn't sit in front of the bus. And so, uh, growing up in Greensboro and having to sit upstairs at Carolina Theater, um, when um, uh, had to pay the same price as everybody else, but couldn't sit downstairs because of the color of my skin. Uh, going into Woolworths and having to order food to go. Um, and paid the same amount of money when uh, and could not sit down at the lunch counter to eat food. Uh, going into Woolworths downstairs and seeing two water fountains and two bathrooms, one saying colored and one saying white, and uh, looking at the water coming out of the uh, water fountains and seeing the same color and wondering what the difference is. So uh, uh, going to the Carolina Theater and uh, uh this these white guys came by in a car and started calling me and a guy who were together uh the N word and uh uh, uh pulled out uh, stuck something out the window which looked like a uh uh a, a rifle or something and my friend and I we walked up all the way up to Carolina Theater and um the cops coming upstairs and taking me and uh uh my friend to the police department because the guys accused us of doing something to them, and my mother and father had to pay out a, uh, a bunch of money to uh, get me out of that situation. And uh, 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 Judge L. Rita Alexander, Alexander, who was an attorney at that particular point in time, was my attorney during that time. Uh, right. Actually, cop coming down uh, Ash Street, and I'm uh, standing uh, on the street, on Ash Street, and he comes up to me and he says that, uh, you need to pick up that beer can because you threw it on the ground, and I didn't even drink beer at that time. And he, I told him, I said, I didn't put it down there. And what he said to me, either you pick the beer can up, I'm going to take you to jail. And so I know about profiling. I know about all those kinds of things that uh, happened back during that time where you had organized racism, which we don't have in this country right now, uh, and um, because we moved beyond that, but you deal with each situation as it, as it comes up. We do, we should not uh, imprison ourselves at this particular point in time by um, crying out uh, black lives matter and all, all those kind of things. We already know that. We're already in the door, and we're trying to get out and uh, go back out of the same door we came in. And so we need to change our mentality and have a paradigm shift and see that we can compete with anybody because – uh, we have the same opportunity as everybody else. It just depends on how badly you want it. Because when I went, I, I spent 30 years in business for myself, and I didn't have any hours. I went 
to see people or talk to people. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was, and I worked until I got the job done as opposed to working a set number of hours on a job saying you, you work eight hours a day or whatever and you finish. Well, that doesn't work when you're in business for yourself. And I, I don't see enough of us going into business for ourselves at this particular point in time. And that's what I go around uh, teaching about people going into business themselves, understanding how money works because money is a game that everybody plays, but most people lose the game because they don't know and understand how it works. We buy what we want and beg for what we need. And that mentality has to change. Were, as you were growing up, were, and I know this may seem like a, 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 stu- a very stupid question, but it is really setting the stage for what I want to move towards. But as you were growing up, um, were blacks legitimate business people only between themselves? Uh, for the most part, um, they were because um, uh, what happened was it that a black business was looked at differently than a white business, except for a, a certain situations. Like I said, what my father was was a mechanic, mm-hmm. and so whoever it was had that car that needed to be repaired, they would come to see him uh, because he knew how to repair cars. But uh, what I saw happen was most of the black businesses were located in the black uh, uh, communities, and when we had the change and with the integration, most of those businesses were lost uh, and never regained again uh, because uh, we didn't understand what was really happening at that, at that particular point in time. Um, but, again, because I had a person like my father who came off the farm, which his parents owned the farm, uh, uh-huh. and there were 13 of them, and so he understood business as well as anybody I've ever I've ever come across. He knew how to turn a dollar. I would see him take uh, cardboard or whatever it was and, 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 and take copper out of stuff and, and, uh, and make money. He just, he just knew how to make money. Right. And so when you right. have those kind of talents, then you got to take advantage of it because it, to go into business for yourself, it requires a certain entrepreneurial spirit, spirit. And we have always had that because we've always faced a crisis whereby that either we would, we, we would go into their homes and cook, take care of their children, cut the grass, do all those kind of things because not only was I in the financial services business, the, 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 the first business I had was I had a uh, janitorial service, and I learned how to do that by working with some, for somebody else. And I still know that at Craft today, I can uh, – uh, uh, as far as floors are concerned, I can do floors as well as anybody else. I just don't do them at this particular point in time because at 74 years of age, I've, I've paid my dues for that. I, I learned it's better to work with your mind than with your hands. Nothing wrong with it. But uh, <laughs> and, and, but we, and then the other side of it is that we need to have multiple streams of income coming in at all points in time because you never know, know what's going to happen as far as the economy is concerned. Wow. Uh, what happened to uh, those legitimate businesses that blacks own uh, when integration really set in? You, you know, as you alluded to, you know, a lot of the businesses were lost. You know, what what kind of transition happened in the black community uh, as we integrated into what I, what I say is mainstream society? 
Well, I, we we changed our mentality, and it was hard to compete at that particular point in time because when we had the little small grocery stores, for example, in the neighborhood, uh, we were not able to leverage those into uh, buying an A&T or uh, uh, whatever major stores they were. Uh, and so we went from running our own businesses to uh, doing the same thing I did uh, when I was a, became an adult. I, I, I run a lot of people's businesses until I really figured out that I could do it myself. And so those businesses were, were, were basically, um, when they did the uh, urban renewal, if you will, or when they came in and, and changed things around, then those people that owned those businesses didn't have an opportunity to come back in and open up those businesses again. And so right now, again, what it it boils down to is a mentality that you're going to have to do. My my parents, well, my parents and the school teachers that that taught me when I was growing up, the black school teachers always taught us that you got to be twice as good. And that element still may hold true today, but I consistently remind my kids and myself is that everything you do, you do it as unto the Lord or don't do it at all. And so we had, um, uh, it was a, a, a uh, organized situation whereby they came, they came in and, uh, and, and um, uh, caused us to give up, give up our businesses because they saw and knew who we were when we didn't, we, and so even to right now, we still don't know who we are in the towns that we have. See, you never ask anybody else, Permission. The only person you ask permission is you ask God for for permission, and then you go ahead and you do it. You just keep it legal and above board. Mm-hmm. Um, it it seems like you know um, traditional black communities <clears throat> are plagued with uh, non. I won't say non beneficial. Uh, I'll say businesses that aren't invested into the communities that they're in. I'll say that, uh, which in terms can be said to be non-beneficial. When you look at traditional black neighborhoods, you see corner markets that are owned by immigrants. I'm just calling it like it is. Um, Mm -hmm. You see uh, supermarkets that are owned by anyone in those communities. Uh, even uh, gas stations that are owned by anyone from nor in those communities. And from where I sit and, and from how I've lived, that's where a lot of the money in those communities are going, directly to those yeah. businesses that are set up right there in those communities or just outside of those communities. And, you know, as as I said, you know, those businesses don't invest in the community. Um, As as you've grown, do you think the increase of that has, uh, I'll tell you what, when did you first see that? Like, when did it first start happening that businesses uh, were just, coming into the community that weren't owned by the community? Um, 
Well, actually, Plenty, let me let me go back a little further than that before my time, before your time. When we were brought to this country, we were brought for a different reason than others. We were brought here to work the land for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then that mentality was passed down from one generation to another, and they indoctrinated us to think that uh, it wasn't enough. Uh, in other words, uh, if I saw Pudgy getting ahead, then you were getting a part of what belonged to me as if we started, if it was a zero sum or the pie had a, had a, had a fixed number of pieces in it. And so what we did was... Um, uh, we uh, the mentality caused us not to uh, uh, understand that we that when I was growing up, for example, uh, people would help each other. But one of the most difficult things that we have had is that uh, we don't understand how to do business with each other. It's like mm-hmm. uh, their ice is cold in our ice. Therefore, we would go and do business with. Uh, um, um, Somebody that doesn't look like me or you simply because they look like a different color. Now, when I was in business for myself, I remember this one particular guy went to his house because we did mortgages, investments, and things like that. And I came there, and I was dressed in a suit. And when I got to his door, he told me that if I would not have had a suit on, he would not have let me in. This was a black guy. But yet, I used to see guys that, uh, we're in the same business as I was in. It didn't look like me could go in the person's house, dress very casual, and they were mm-hmm. accepted, but I, I had to uh, um, dress a certain way. So I learned how to play the game. I learned the rules of the game and learned how to play it better than anybody else. And wow. that's what we have to do at this particular point in time is that you, you, you cannot dwell on the problem. You have to dwell on the solution. And you've got to do analytical thinking and understand that money is universal. It's a universal language. And so uh, I saw uh, Jews, uh, uh, Italians, and uh, 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 and now Asians, they will come into our business and come into our neighborhood and take the money out of the neighborhood. One of the primary places are the the places that, 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 that sell the hair products. Uh, I had a lady tell me one time that this Asian guy told her that uh, he would only hire blacks. And uh, the reason why he would only hire blacks, he said if he hired whites, they would come in and see what they were doing and begin to set up a store down the street and, and, and compete. But we were very satisfied to work within this business. This lady was actually worked part-time doing that, but she was a full-time school teacher. But her mentality was one whereby that she cause herself to be subjective to the person that she was working for as opposed to going in there and learning the trade and going out and taking advantage of it. Because that's what that that's what the capitalistic system is all about. Sure it is. And so there's a certain mentality that we have to bring back from years of old where we understand that we need to be about the business of competing and uh employing people as opposed to looking seeking for employment. Uh, and and as, as, there are three ways you can make money in America legally. You can work for somebody, uh, you can work for yourself, or you can put other people to work. I choose <laughs> to put other people to work. I hear that. I uh, love because that. Because I understand that. Yeah. And see, that's a certain mentality that we have to have. 
Uh, uh, the, the thing about it is that we don't know how, and, and it's not just us, there are far too many people in America that do not know how America works. And that's why in the quagmire that we're in right now is that it's like we have certain people in our government are trying to put a square peg into a round hole and so the rich get richer and the poor get poorer when you used to see a great influx of people moving from the lower income to middle income to upper income because the opportunity was there whereby that a person could go out and not actually put – Go to work. Actually, go to work for the government as opposed to the government working for us, as is what's happening right now. So we've got to understand that uh, it's the private sector that runs all of America, and not the government, because we pay their salaries. Absolutely. And so it's a certain mentality that we got to have that we do not have at this particular point in time. You know what, Mr. Clarence? I uh, I listen to these things that you're saying tonight, and and I've heard you make quite a few speeches and. You know, we've talked on several occasions, and uh, I know you. I know who you are. And you're not angry. You know, there's things that I've been through in my life, in my short life, right? I don't know nothing yet compared to you. (laughs) But there's some things that I've been through uh, from a racial standpoint. I'm just talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, talking like it is. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not angry either, by the way. I just want to put that out there and let that be known. But I listen to you. You got some years on me, my brother. And and yeah. you got some experience on me. And you are, you know, it, it seems like you don't like to get the credit. See here, I'm going to give you the credit because this is what it is. You are a part of the transcend in American culture and in, in, in black culture. You know, this is just the truth. It's not my fault for people that are jealous. It ain't nobody else's fault. It ain't your fault. You know, blame it on God. But you are. And as I listen to you, I I can feel it. Like, I, I see that in you. I see the, the, the genuine love that you have for life and liberty and people in general, despite, but you don't hold any punches. You know, you call it like it is, and and I, you know, I appreciate that. But you're not angry. Were were you ever angry about how you grew up? I mean, you said you almost ran. Well, no, you didn't. Almost, you know, you got hit uh, by a white man in the car who who clearly just didn't like you because you were a black child or a black human being. Um, pointed at you. You were arrested. And we're going to get to 1960 here in just a second, but you went through all these things. Have you ever been angry? Because I just don't hear that. I don't see that in you. But anger, yes, I've been angry, but what anger did, it got me in trouble. And I couldn't be as effective as I am now because I use my mind instead of uh uh, using my hands or using brawn, using brain instead of brawn because, see, uh, when I was growing up, I, lived, I grew up in one of the roughest neighborhoods in all of Greensboro uh, initially for a number of years. And uh, that neighborhood, you know, you had to fight basically every day to defend yourself. But mm-hmm. I found out 
what happens with that is like, and you know about sports because I know you coach and all that, and you've seen where that you have a particular person that is very good at a particular sport, and what the opposing team will do, the coach, he'll send somebody in there to get this person angry to take them off of their game, and the next thing, um, they are no longer in the game, and they cannot make a difference like they did before. So I've learned how to make a difference. That's why I became what you might call a constitutional conser- uh, conservative, whereby that when I speak, I speak according to what the Constitution says because the Constitution is a level playing field. And uh, it means that everybody has to adhere to what the Constitution says, and it's just like the peaceful movement that we had, and that's another part that taught me, it would not have been as effective as we had a treated uh, uh, world was like they treated a uh, 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 Ferguson or Baltimore And so you have to learn How to play this game As I said before And play it better than anybody else uh, You have to do what is known as Critical thinking Sure. And uh, I learned that Through the educational system Because what happened when I was growing up they, they, they taught a different kind of Education than they teach now uh, Where they taught the whole person it's just like Dr. King said, if you take a man and you educate him and you don't teach him any morals, you have a dangerous man because now he uh, he can think, but it doesn't have any morals. And so in our education system, what my parents taught me was a moral value, moral fiber, and that sticks with me today. And I will use words as my sword telling you the truth and let it fall on whatever ground it falls on, and I can continue to do what the, the Bible says, I continue to study to show myself approved that I am up to date on those critical things that affect my life and affect the lives of others. So I am busy at this particular point in time passing the torch of liberty to the next generation because we have a number of lost generations. I am very appreciative of knowing a young man like you that has some insight and understands some things that um, uh, that a lot of us understand. It's not about intelligence. It's about the environment that you're raised in and, 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 and listening to a transmission of misinformation and not researching it for yourself. Because it has been said that if, if you don't want people to look like us, and know something, put it in the book because we won't read it. Well, I'm an avid reader. I love education. And uh, that, an educated people has an opportunity to always remain a free people. And so without uh, without having education, and that's how we came out of what we came out of, because we became educated, uh, like uh, Freddie Douglas had taught himself how to read, those are the inspirations that I look at because lives of all great men remind us that we can make our lives sublime and that parting leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. And I ask those that are coming behind me, where are your footprints? What are you doing to make a difference? Where is your dash between the, your date of birth and your date of death? Because the, the, the world is a museum, and everybody has an empty portrait painted on that on the wall of, of, America, of, of the world. And what kind of, is your uh, mural just a blank space, or have you done something? It's like in the Bible 
all this, all this person that I see is Methuselah, but I never see where he did anything. Wow. So oh, to the people that's coming behind us to leave the world a better place than it was when we came. Because I do not intend to be like life walking shadow, a poor player who walks and struts his eye upon the and then is heard no more. I was put here, and uh, uh, as far as war was concerned, it didn't start there. Well, I believe in divine intervention. When I was born, my father named me after his best friend who was a white guy, and that set the tone for me to help bridge the gap between the races, and I've been doing it ever since, and it's not something that I chose to do. I was, I've always been thrown into it by God. He was mm-hmm. putting me here, putting me in the middle of so many different situations. Because not only was I at A&T, when the sit-in started, I was at A&T when the riot broke out. When Grimes got killed, I was at that same, at, at, at time. Uh, oh, I was, man. Uh, in, I was in New York when one of the riots broke out there. So that, I've just That's definitely something I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to touch on, too. Let me uh, – excuse me for, for interrupting here. And, and I, with respect to your time, I'm over my time. of the KLP Radio Show for Phones are closed, but if you're on phone, you're in here. So shout out to everybody out there who dialed us in. Uh, if you guys have been cut off or kicked off, I think we have over 300 on the phone lines. Uh, you can also check us out on Block Talk Radio slash KIRP Radio Show. Google us M3G, WM3G, KRP Radio Show, or you can check us out online, KRPRadioShow.com. I'm not saying it fast, you just listen to slow. Y'all know how it is. Real truth, real talk radio. Um, let's 1960. Let me let me speed it up for a moment. Um, okay. Actually, before I ask about 1960, I, I have to ask this in respect to Dr. King, and uh, this is just something that I wanted to know, and I wanted to hear from what I like to call the horse's mouth. Um, what did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. mean to the black community? during the civil rights movement. What type of things were you hearing and, and were people talking about around the house and eating dinner or just sitting on the porch, you know, playing out in the yard? You know, what type of things were really said within the people? Well, Dr. King was a visionary. And unfortunately, a great number of those people that were around him did not understand what he was doing. He it was a two part uh, movement that he but he 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 was a part of, whereby it was the, the the social movement to get in the door, and then the second part of it was the the economic movement, and we still have not yet put that in place, uh, and so. Uh, if, 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 if we look at um, people like Joyce Simpkins and people like that that had that, that started various movements uh, throughout time, when I was uh, uh, before I, the movement I participated in, we were always looking uh, toward being able to move into uh, our uh, place that we could have in America as far as the opportunity is concerned, and. Um, during that time, we understood that pro- the, the, the pen is mighty than the sword and is, is better for a peaceful movement than it is for a violent movement. 
Because mm-hmm. if you look back at, at, at what has happened, for example, Watts has never been rebuilt. And so the mentality has to be that we build up our neighborhood and not tear it down. So we have always been a people that wanted to take advantage of the American opportunity, uh, but uh, uh, we, we found out that it was, it, was, it was real difficult, but we overcame that uh, even during that time. So as I was growing up, uh, it was not only Dr. King, but people like uh, uh, Jackie Robinson that I, I, I personally met, people like uh, Sidney Poitier, who I personally met, uh, people like uh, um, uh, Robert Kennedy, who I personally met, uh, that affected my life. Well, I saw that these people were just like anybody else. Muhammad Ali, because I used to manage the shoes on 125th Street, and I used to run into all these guys, like James Brown and those guys, and they were just like anybody else. And But they had this, it's all about them, that they knew that um, they were as good as anybody else. And I'm not about, at this particular point in time, trying to prove <coughs> to anybody that I'm as good as anybody else because that's a waste of time. And so uh, where, what, what really was happening back during that time, we were quietly moving forward uh, to be, see, it, the, the bottom line pledge is that if you stand outside of the building and you throw rocks at the building and you break the glass, what uh, the system will do is they will make the glass thicker so that you cannot break the glass. So the idea is to get inside of the system where you can be effective and, and, and take advantage of what the system offers. And so that's what I looked at as a way into the system and not sure. a way into a people. I, I totally understand that. I absolutely understand it in first person. Uh, February 1st, 1960. You're in Woolworths, uh, and you're breaking the law. You decide uh, with a group of us. I'm sure you decided before. But, uh, at that moment, you sat at a counter to be served and that counter was um, said to be not for you said that you weren't fit to sit at that counter to be served because you were a black human Um, how did all of that transpire well first of all uh, Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. according to our Constitution, said that we were, we are all alike, and so it was it was a matter of local laws that they had put in place uh, that were really not laws at all, as far as I'm concerned, because we were already free. See, you had about Woolworths. You could walk into Woolworths, and there were several counters there, eight or nine counters, where everybody did business the same way, except for the lunch counter. You went to buy clothes or whatever, various items there, and because it was five and dime store, uh, and you could purchase them just like anybody else. But when you went to the lunch counter, then it was altogether different. So uh, it was a public place, except for this at this one particular place, and. Um, I was not in on the planning part of it. There were four guys that actually went in on February 1st, uh, 
I went in on February 2nd because one of the guys, the original guys, was a guy by the name of E.C.L. Blair, who has since then, since then called, changed his name. And uh, um, he, we grew up together, starting the first grade together all the way to A&T. And he came into uh, Bluford Library at that particular point in time, and the lounge was downstairs. He came and told me what they had done on the first day and asked me if I would become a part of it. And so that's how I got involved is that I went and uh, said at at the lunch counter uh, because uh, I believed in what they were doing, and I knew, as I said before, I knew that there was no, no difference. See, that was a defining moment. But we all have defining moments, uh, but those moments don't define you. What you do with those moments, that's what, define you, what defines you because all the times before that I had gone into Woolworths, the moment defined me, but I defined that moment that particular point in time because I took control of my environment, and we caught Greensboro by surprise because they had no idea uh, that what what was going on, what we were doing, and, we, and Woolworths was put pit because it was a chain store, and we were hopeful that it would, it would get uh, catch on fire and it would uh, move to the other stores, which it did. But I had no idea that uh, it would be what it uh, has come to be. And, uh, Pretty, to be honest with you, you asked me a question uh, a few minutes ago about what people see me as. Well, I don't see myself that way. I'm just an average, ordinary guy that when my name was called, I answered the call. And and that makes a difference because many are, cho- uh, are called, but few are chosen. And they're not chosen, chosen because they don't, they, don't, they don't choose to be chosen. When, they, when their name is called, they don't step up to the plate. And so as I said before, as I look back and reflected on my life, I have seen where this is where God uh, chose for me to be, even after spending almost 30 years of business for myself, that still was not God's calling. Mm-hmm. And so my call, and, and, and during that time, I kept getting people calling, uh, asking me to come and speak about what happened back during that time. Uh, and I'm very careful about going into a whole lot of details that people don't get buried in history it's all right to know about it, but if you get buried there, then you cannot operate uh, as, as you should during these modern times. And so I share with them, and some of the things that, that, that I saw uh, are very seldom that I reflect on because the name calling and, and, and uh, we had at Woolworths name calling, bomb threats, people went to jail. Um, uh, the KKK came in. There was uh, uh, the people that were a part of the city and on one side of the street and the people that were opposed to on the other side of the street. And except for the grace of God, uh, some people would have gotten killed because of the kind of situation that was happening, happening back during that time. And so all these things have had an effect on me to understand that everyone can make a difference if they will stand up for their individual rights. And that's what's so important that we all stand up for our individual rights. And it doesn't require that you make uh, the media, get the media's attention. It's just that um, if you, uh, silence means consent. And Mm -hmm. so the question comes that it's like a question about a Christian. 
when somebody accuses you of being a Christian, will you be found guilty? Well, when somebody uh, accuses you of uh, standing up for your individual rights, will you be found guilty of standing up for your individual rights? Because without that, a person doesn't have anything. And so uh, at the lunch counter, that the movement was all about uh, that old, uh, you know, the word used to be Negro that said, freedom on freedom over me, and before I be a slave, I be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Well, that's mm-hmm. the same sentiment that I have now as I had then, because it, 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 it's one uh, physical bondage is terrible, but the, the mental scars that if you keep them with you will break you where you have no hope. And so I have great hope, more hope now than I've ever had before, because I understand what it takes to uh, keep your freedom. And all it requires is a made-up mind, a certain mentality that you have to do like um, uh, Kenny Rogers, the, the uh, Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler. You got to know when to hold, know when to fold, know when to walk away, and when to run. You don't pick every fight. You don't, you don't jump in the middle of every fight, but you pick your fights. And so now I go across America uh Speaking to people in reference to um, what we what, where we go from here, because we, as I said, we had a major crossroad, and will sure. we go darkness or will we move forward into the light? And so, think- and unfortunately, most of the people that I speak to don't look like me, right? Because I get a I tell the uh, because I tell the truth, and a lot of people don't want to hear it. And the truth is, is that um, there's a con- there's confusion about which party has done what when it comes to uh, we as a race of people. When the 13th, 14th, and the 15th Amendment, the Republican Party were, were the ones that uh, 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 put those laws in place. When a guy like Gerald Ford changed Black History Week to Black History Month, when uh, 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 Richard Nixon did more for HBCUs than any other president before or after him is done. Those kind of things we need to understand the, the total history of America, the good, the, the bad, and the ugly. Now, slavery was horrific, and some of the things I've gone through uh, uh, were horrific, but I do not allow that to control my mind nor control my destiny because, as I said, if you make, uh, if you put mental change around your, your, your brain, then you cannot move from there. You have to step on the outside and really see what it looks like. And that's what happened when I came out of my neighborhood when I was growing up and I went and saw some of the other neighborhoods and said, well, I can live like that too. Because if it offers them, it offers to me, and nobody was there saying you can't do it. And so that that's the attitude I take now. So uh, some places I'd like to go and speak of where more people look like me and you would hear and would listen objectively and not draw conclusions based upon what somebody said because, see, here's what I see, Pudge. I see us as a race of people, just like the, the Hebrews and Israelites, that God looked down on us when we were enslaved and saw an oppressed people, and he brought us out. Mm-hmm. But when he brought us out, he said, if you will bow down to me, like they have been trying to force you to bow down to them, the world will be yours. But what we chose to do is we chose to 
uh, still be act like we are somewhere in the field or somewhere in the house, and, and then those are and considered to be in the house, they're still trying to hold those in, in the field. They're considered to be in the field now, and so in a lot of instances, we can be our own worst enemy. And so those are the kind of messages that I uh, go out and share, uh, and and the things that have happened to me because right now I am the chairman for the Martin Luther King Commission appointed by the governor of the state of North Carolina, and the first time I actually met him was on um, Friday. Mm-hmm. And so I was appointed by him because he heard what I was uh, what I was doing out here. Sure, because sure. Because there's a... Uh, as Dr. King said, unless we learn to live together as brothers, we'll die together as food. And there is a movement in America right now where they're trying to start race wars and race wars, and that does not serve anybody any good purpose. And so we've got to be smarter than that. You know, I think, uh, I think a part of that is reality, you know, mm-hmm. on, on both sides of race political mm-hmm. parties um mm-hmm. I think folks are going to have to accept themselves and accept their mm-hmm. ancestors um, in groups that I've been in and, and that I dwell in I, a lot of white republicans don't like to hear black people revert to anything about slavery mm-hmm. um they just don't like to hear it they ask you know why do you mm-hmm. Well, in the past, well, it's not always dwelling. Uh, sometimes when we can, you know, it's like a family. If if we're going to be a family, we need to be able to sit at the table and talk about the time when Daddy blew ten thousand dollars and why we had to move here and why it's important for you to do that going forward. Type mm-hmm. of thing. You know, you have to mm-hmm. be able to talk about family uh, downfalls to get past it and move forward and. Slavery and the whole racial element or problems in America is a sore wound, even still today, mm-hmm. because yes, of people's yes, own discomfort with the surrounding of the words. And it only makes sense mm-hmm. because, you know, like I told some, some white friends of mine, said, y'all are guilty for something that you don't even you didn't even have anything to do with and probably not even your second, third generation ancestors. But mm-hmm. you're sitting here uh upset and feeling guilty about something you had nothing to do with. You gotta mm-hmm. let it go. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I and and so I, when you start talking about racism and look Be evil. There will always be rapists. There will always be killers. You know, these are the realities of life. Mm-hmm. And we seem to be able to accept that, but we can't accept the conversation that needs to take place in America for people to heal. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And that will continue mm-hmm. to be the problem. So when you start talking about political party, people like to uh, revert back to Black versus white, good versus mm-hmm. evil, and then you can't get anything accomplished again. Instead of looking at the facts, and as black people, that's what we don't commonly do um, the most. We don't look at the facts of who did what. It's all emotional. 
And until you can mm-hmm. get over, as I said before, until you can get over the emotion of it all, you'll never be able to sit down as family. So, I, you know, what you're doing uh, by going around talking to folks is, is, is a healing. That's why it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. That's why it's needed. And we need more people to do the same thing. Well, you know, uh, Pudgy, I was listening to you before you brought me on, and you said something that was so important. Because as a, a any person that is a Christian that understands, then that whole thing should go out the, the, the window because God said, I find no good in, in flesh. Absolutely. So whether it's black flesh, white flesh, red flesh, yellow flesh, uh, there's no good in that. And, and all it is is dirt, and it doesn't matter what color it is. So I don't mm-hmm. allow that to... to, to uh, cause me to see things differently because I, it it it, it, it puts puts me in a blind spot, and I understand that um, as Christians we are supposed to be the healing of the entirety of the world. And again, as Martin Luther King said, unless we learn to live together as brothers, we'll die together as fools. Now, right. far too many Christians. Still live in the flesh, and they're still trying to prove something according to flesh. Even down to the point where, if you are a light-skinned black or dark-skinned black, then we look at each other differently. As a matter of fact, I, at, at the meeting that uh, uh, when I was at Dr. King's uh, uh, ceremony on Friday, this young lady said to me, "said uh, I found out." Uh, Part of my, I was born in South Carolina, but uh, uh, but I had a lot of roots in North Carolina, and it was like she was proud of that because she said that uh, people in South Carolina act different from people in North Carolina. Well, people are different mm-hmm. uh, according to the area of, 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 of where they come from. But this thing about Southern versus Northern, all these kind of things, all these things are things that the devil uses to pit one person against the other. Sure. And so we have to begin to understand that there is a healing process, as Martin Luther King said he, about he had a dream that uh, one day uh, that his children would be looked at based not upon the color of their skin but the content of their character. And so I am at that place right now. Whether or not anybody else is at, uh, at that place or not, I want to engage you in a conversation to find out where you're coming from, and I will debate you based upon what – uh, 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 your ideology or your thought process is, but not based upon the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. So we, as you said, we have to have more conversations where we sit down and discuss things with each other and understand that everybody brings something to the table, but unless the issues are discussed, then you don't get them out into the open. And one of the biggest challenges that we have is that too many people, and you you hear it in America all the time right now, a person will ask you, Pudgy, uh, how do you feel about this? That's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Is what do you think? Because feelings change every day, but facts don't. They sure do. Absolutely and so we do. have to get to the point that we look at what the facts are and go from there. And the facts are that, that, again, we did come out of slavery, but also the fact is is that we are the only country that ever went to war based on on slavery. And we were not, we are not the only country that has had slaves. That's right. And so 
that that element, the thing that I stand up for, now, it will never happen again, at least not to me, because I, I will leave here before I will allow anybody to enslave me at this particular point in time. And that's the kind of mentality you have to have. But you have to know what the laws say because our freedom has been taken away uh, on a day-by-day basis. It's now economic slavery we're moving into. It's now governmental slavery that we're moving into, whereby they're telling us the kind of light bulb that we can burn in our own house. Mm. These are the kind they're taking away the, the water rights and taking land according to gender tournament, all these kind of things that people are not aware of is that uh, the government is now saying that all they want us to do is to make the children and then they take over, take them over. That's right. Yeah. This is where we are. And so we have to become aware. And we have to become aware of what's going on. Because it's just like uh, uh, the uh, 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 new educational system they're trying to put in. Uh, mm-hmm. This would take a point in time. All those kind of things uh, that. Uh, and, and and one of the things that, that we can do at this particular point in time, uh, and I'll say to any parent that if you have a child in school, you better find out what the school system is doing with your child. I, as a single parent, raised two kids, and every one of my kids' uh, um, uh, teachers knew who I was because I was not going to turn my kids loose on that system. And if my kids were wrong, I corrected that. If the teacher was wrong, I corrected that also. Uh, by what you were saying, having a conversation, letting them know that if if this is not taken care of at the local level, I'm going to go to the next level, all the way until such time it gets taken care of. But I'm a, I'm going to become that thorn in your side that calls you to do the right thing. And so that's what we're called right now because, see, my rights end, Pudgy, where yours begin. And I that's refuse right. to allow any person to infringe upon my rights. And so God gave me a voice to speak, and so I'm going to share with people that these are, see, the Constitution does not tell us what we can do. It recognizes what we can do. It recognizes that uh, our individual rights. It does not, uh, in other words, we have too many uh, situations now where we're being uh, governed by the rule of man rather than the rule of law. And if you don't know the purpose of the thing, you will abuse it. And the legal system, a lot of a lot of instances, is, is being abused. But we have to stand up for it. If you don't know how you, uh, 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 it's, it's like these situations have happened in various times. Well, you you wait until you see what the law does, and then you act as then you have a right to for peaceful assembly. But you just can't become like a democracy, fifty uh, percent. Uh, become become like a mob. You have to go through the legal system because that's what keeps America free. Now, there's some laws that are not the right laws. You go about getting those laws changed. And so that's why I say again is that I will use the system that we live under and leverage that system to live the best life that I can live because. A lot, you know, it's like we a lot of things we 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 talk about now, like the Ten Commandments. Well, that's where all our laws came from. But now we want to Absolutely. remove the Ten Commandments from the courtroom and all those kind of things. And it's like um, um, uh, when we allow uh, the changing of the definition of marriage, which God uh, gave us the definition of marriage between a, a man and a woman, then <coughs> we're going totally contrary. Mm-hmm. 
to what God said because before there was a government, there was a people. Before there was a people, there was God. And so I hold him at the highest esteem, and I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, says, oh, King, you may well kill us, but we're going to choose it. We're going to serve God. And so that's what I choose because I understand that they, eternity will come one day. And uh, and all every, all human beings are going to have to stand before God, just like I am. And so I will I will I will uh, do what thus says the Lord, as opposed to what other people would say. And so that's what America was built upon. It was built upon being a Judeo Christian nation. Sure. And now, uh, if you stand, want to stand up and say you're a Christian, then people want to want to uh, want to try to ostracize you, and that's my choice. I don't get mad at the Buddhists or, or the Muslims. If that's what they choose, that's what they choose. But you, I choose, you know something? I, I've, I've chosen my faith a relationship with God, and uh, I'm not going to let any man, any person take that away from me. You, you, you know something, uh, Mr. Clarence, this is what uh, something me, me and the kids or me and the family were talking about the other night, but something that I said to my children, I said, we'll always be and ostracized for our belief in uh, in God and Jesus Christ because mm-hmm. we're right. And I don't knock what other people do. Do your thing. If, if Jesus mm-hmm. didn't knock it, I'm definitely gonna, not going to knock it. Go ahead. But I can tell you this. Um, Jesus is the way. Christ is the way. Mm-hmm. He's the mm-hmm. Savior. And I don't, I don't weary for I don't, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, you know, Christ dealt with people who didn't believe he was the Messiah, and he showed them love and he kept it moving. And and mm-hmm. in trying to be Christ-like, that's what I do. But here's the thing: we will always, all of our lives, be ostracized and maybe even killed for what we believe. And you know yeah. what? I'm okay with that. It is what it is. You, you and I both. You and I both. Yeah. Totally okay with that. Well, listen, I, I took enough time. I appreciate you coming on the KRP radio show. Um, but on this show, we do shout out. Before you go, before I let you go, I need you to give a shout out to somebody. Okay. I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, Brother Kevin Daniels, who is a very close friend of mine, who uh, is a very unique individual in, in, in that he is a uh, person that thinks a lot. And, and, and uh, there are a lot of people that, that don't have that ability. He, he has what I would call common sense to go along with the intellect that he has, and I would like to give him a shout-out that uh, he continue to do what he's doing now. And, Pudge, before I leave is that I would like to give my website, if anybody wants to uh, 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 engage and have me come and speak with them. Oh, please, that, by all means, <laughs> give, you, give you your w, website. That's www.clarencehenderson.vpweb.com. That's www.clarencehendrson dot v as in victim, p as in poor, which I'm not, and web dot com. 
I like how you put that in there. We got to we'll yeah. set up on our Facebook and on our Twitter. Uh, we'll put that on the heading of the show also so that people can find it. Um, definitely giving okay. you a shout out, giving a shout out to all the listeners out there. Shout out to your lovely wife who, who I had the pleasure of meeting again at the Governor's Mansion. And, 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 um, and you and your kids, because I'm looking forward to meeting your kids also, because I have a lot of things I want to share with them. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll like that. They'll like that, too. So okay. uh, if they don't like it, they're going to listen anyway, because I'm from the old school. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Crutchy, it's been great, man. Hey, it's been beautiful. And um, have a good night, and I hope you have a good week, and we'll be speaking soon. Sounds good. All right, good night. That's Clarence Henderson, folks. Make sure you check his website out, www.clarencehenderson.vp.com. Make sure you guys check that out. Book him if you have any speaking engagements. Or if you just want to talk to him, uh, you can also hit us up on kirpradio at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any questions, we'll try to answer your questions and emails and, you know, send us information. There are people out there that you would like us to uh, to, to uh, regular folks, politicians, whoever, whenever, why ever. Let us know, man. Radio at gmail.com or go to krpradioshow.com and uh, there's a section on there where you can leave us a note or Send us an email or what may have you. All right. That's our time. Uh, well, our time. Thank you guys for listening to the bonus hour of the KRP radio show. We are out of here. Appreciate the love that you got, though. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes, baby, because the iTunes is blowing up. Uh, Facebook, Twitter. You guys know what it is, man. We're out of here. I'm going to leave you with a little instrumental of say hello to the bad guy. That's me, the bad guy. Say hello. Well, love, remember, God is love, love is God. Communication is the key. See ya.